Hey folks, before we get into the show, a quick note. First of all, I'm recording this outside of my office on a beautiful day in sunny New Jersey. So, hi from outside my office. Um, on today's show, Zach's microphone was giving him a little bit of a trouble or his internet connection. Something was going on for the first part of the show. We eventually stopped the call and restarted it, and he sounds wonderful. So if you're missing Zach's dulcet tones, you'll hear them nicely a little bit later on in the show. Also, stay tuned to the end of the episode as I chat with Phil Jimenez about Superwoman, and it's a fantastic conversation. So thanks for listening as always, and on to the show. Welcome back to the DC3 cast. I hope you missed us last week. We missed you terribly. Terribly. Anyway, I'm Brian. With me, as always, are Zach and Vince. And we're here to talk about Rebirth books. We have Cyborg Rebirth number one, written by John Semper Jr., illustrated by Paul Pelletier. Um, and we've gotten a lot of Cyborg in Justice League so far. And... Uh, it was a character that's never really far from the action ever since the start of the New Fifty Two. But this is, uh, this is, I guess, as close to a full-on origin story as we've had for him in the New Fifty Two, aside from that first issue of Justice League, way back when. Um, what did you guys think of the issue? I liked it quite a bit. Um, I'm not like head over heels for it. Uh, I think it was, I think it was fairly standard as far as like. Okay, we're gonna retell Cyborg's origin. We're gonna tweak it a little bit so that it's um, it's fresh and mysterious in some way, and uh, you know, hopefully going to be more interesting to readers going forward. You know, it's kind of the standard uh, retcon type thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been compared to uh, Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, right? So. Um, it kind of it kind of does that same thing with cyborg's identity um is he a man is he a robot is he the ghost of a man you know what is he is he a muppet or a man is... oh my god is he a muppet of a man <laughs> <laughs> thank you zach for picking me up on that i got you i yeah no i don't know no, he he fought he continued he, the he joke yeah you know yeah 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 yep. <laughs> something something uh animal smash yeah. drums um uh, uh <laughs> yeah so um no i liked it a lot i think um something that was interesting going into this was nobody was really sure how john semper would do because as far as i know he's worked in animation and not really in com- i mean is this his first comic work i'm not certain but it's certainly he he's not a seasoned veteran he's not that. a seasoned veteran right and i think I think a lot of times when you see new people who are new to comics or when they come to comics from another medium, they bring with them uh, inexperience and they make mistakes that either make the comic like boring and straightforward or, you know, overly wordy or, or a variety of things can happen, you know? And I don't think that this was, this made any of those mistakes, you know, like, it, like it wasn't noticeable that he hadn't worked in comics, at least to my eye. And I even thought he threw in a couple nice touches where like they they certainly weren't subtle or like, you know, I mean they were very obvious, but he would have one scene that paralleled the very next scene, you know, like something that happened at the end of one scene would be visually paralleled to the start of the very next scene, you know. Mm-hmm. Um just little touches like that and then I thought the the reveal at the end was really uh, creepy and kind of cool. So I think, you know, it didn't bowl me over, but it did just enough to, to get me to say there might be something here. What was the reveal at the end? So the reveal at the end was that, you know, whoever, whatever this robot guy is that's on the very last page that looks an awful lot like Vic's dad, you know, um, 
is is somehow connected to basically all of the cyborg characters in the DCU. It it would seem, and my my thinking, and I could be off on this. I could have misinterpreted it, but my thinking is that that might be his dad, and the dad that we see running around in the comic is some sort of imposter or replacement. That's that's how I interpreted it. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I liked this book too. I really liked the art. I thought Paul Pelletier did a really good job. Um, yeah, I'm interested to see where it goes. We we kind of got like a lot of cyborg stuff throughout John's Justice League, like some hints and teases that never really went anywhere. And I'm wondering if maybe we'll get some more of that now. It's, it certainly seems like it. Did, you do the, did either of you read the last Cyborg book? Yes. I felt... Like I, no, I, read, I read a lot of it. I don't know if I read all of it. Yeah, okay. I, I fell off at a certain point. Probably issue 7 or 8. How does this com- feel like compared to that to you all? Because I, I fell off really early, so I can't really speak to it. I, I think this is in- instantly more interesting. Okay. And I, and I feel that way not only because of this book itself but i also think that what he's doing in over in justice league he's got a really prominent role i would say he's got a more prominent role in the brian hitch justice league right now than he had uh when he had an expanded role in the jeff john you know like he's he's getting front and center um and kind of the conflict it seems we'll talk about that later but the conflict in the justice league book seems to be centered around vic right now at least yeah so so I think that combined with this book, I'm more interested in Cyborg as a character than I have been since he was a Teen Titan. You know. Uh, so I I liked the book. Uh, I had a couple of issues with it. Um, first of all, uh, Paul Pelletier is good. He's just a good artist. He's um, he may not blow you away with every page, but he's a great visual storyteller. And there's so much going on in some of these uh, panels My that might seem superfluous, now but add the- so much to the story. I really, I like reading his books, so I'm glad he's there. Um, what I didn't love about this was the way that the narration had it both ways, where in some ways it was commenting on things that it obviously could be commenting on, but then like, it's telling a story and there's a bit of dialogue in the story it's telling. And then it comments on that piece of dialogue. Like it just read very clumsy to me, the narration um, throughout the, that, the, whatever that, um, what is that creature called? Malware. Uh, malware. Like the malware narration I found just very, just from like a storytelling perspective. Okay. Is, is this, is malware watching what we're watching? Who is it talking to? Just I, I, I get bugged when there's too much narration in a book if it's if it's not explained well. And I, this kind of bugged me about this book. Um, you know, there were there were some some moments of a little bit clunkiness, but when you're retelling an origin like this and you're trying to streamline it, you're trying to add some intrigue. That that's going to be there. It's the rebirth problem again. Yeah, exactly. It's every one of these damn issues, you know. Yeah. With the exception, which I felt of... like this one felt. Well, I was going to say it felt the least or less rebirthy, but it, it felt interesting as like an, as an individual story, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, so th- there's, there's two types of rebirth books. There have been the rebirth issues that just started with the story, which was basically kind of like Nightwing. You know, like I felt mm-hmm. like Nightwing did a good job with that. And maybe there was one or two others. And then there's the ones that like retell the origin, reset the table for you. Everything is table setting. This was that, but it was like the least offensive version of that. Like it felt like it started at the start, and it's going to propel us going forward. It's not re- it's not necessarily retelling us all stuff that we just relived, like Suicide Squad did, for example. Right, right, yes, I agree with that. Um, you know, it's my my problem with with just about any cyborg book we're going to get is to me cyborg is far more interesting as a teen titan than as a member of the justice league yeah but i think he's also more interesting as a member of a just of the justice league than he is 
carrying his own book, at least right now. Uh, maybe there just hasn't been the right cyborg ongoing yet. Um, I, I don't begrudge the book for existing. I just, for, for me to be excited about a cyborg ongoing, it has to do more than I think this issue did on a month-to-month basis. But that's just me, and I, I recognize that that's not, um, you know, that that could just be a, a Brian problem. Yeah, no, I I think that's pretty fair. I think you know, this is this is one of those cases maybe where it's just not, uh, it's not quite the version that you want to see this character in, and that version is probably never coming back. Uh, right, and and it's just it's always going to feel that way to you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not in love with this book, but it's good. I mean, it's, it's good. It's, yeah. It's, it's solid. Yeah. It's, yes. Yeah. Yep. It's cromulent. Yeah, absolutely. It's cromulent. To, to, to me, it's a, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pirating it with the promise of Paul down the road. I'm solidly pirating it. Yeah, I think so too. Okay. That brings us over, over to uh, Supergirl number one. Uh, by the way, multiversitycomics.com, 40 Days of Supergirl. We've had some great art going up so far. We've had interviews with Steve Orlando. We have an interview with Sterling Gates coming up pretty soon. Um, it's going to be uh, it's gonna be a great month, so strap in and enjoy it. Um, Calista Flockhart? I, I'm hoping. Okay. Here's open. <laughs> I'm going to finally win her away from that scoundrel Harrison Ford. Scout? Who are you calling scoundrel? Well, he's, he's scruffy, scruffy looking. looking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, anyway, Supergirl number one, written by Steve Orlando, illustrated by Brian Ching. Um, again, we had Supergirl Rebirth just a couple weeks ago. This, you know, th- this issue feels a lot like a lot of the number ones after a Rebirth issue, where there's a little bit of of resetting from what we just saw to see it again. <laughs> but overall, I thought that this did a really nice job of establishing who Orlando's Kara is and how she's going to be presented both as Supergirl and as Kara Danvers. Um, what'd you guys think? I thought this was delightful. Yeah. Expand on that, that's, Zach. That's a good word, Zach. I mean, yeah, I just thought it was it was fun. The art um, felt really fresh and unique. Um. I thought Orlando had a really good grasp on the characters' voices. It was funny. Um, yeah, I just liked it all around. I just thought it was like a good, fun Supergirl book, and not too close to the like close to the TV show, but not you know just like blatantly, um, just like copying it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it was its own thing. It it feels. It feels younger than the TV show, you know, mm-hmm. like yeah. Supergirl herself and everybody, everybody involved. Uh, you know, this this is kind of a character that because of the TV show, I think of as like a young adult, essentially. Right. And I'm I'm relieved that we have somebody that is of school age. You know, there's not enough of those characters at DC right now that are in that middle, you know, between like. Damien and Jonathan Kent, and then like young adult, right? You know, like uh, Steph Brown and etc. Um, well, it's it, it, what I was going to comment actually was that in the Supergirl TV show, you see Kara kind of upset that she's called a girl because oh, yeah. she's like she's a young woman at that point. Whereas here, it's like no, she's a girl. This it, it's it's an age appropriate term for her. Yes, that's a, that's a keen point. Um. So I enjoy that about it, and I enjoy again how he, how um, Steve Orlando does such a good job of giving us Kara's character. You know, um, the the scene of her taking f- photographs or readings, essentially of uh, the the frozen, um, they were like creatures, right? Uh-huh. Uh huh. And saying, you know, I, I'll take a piece of them back with me. You know, that's just such a, like, cute moment. And there's a lot of heart there. And Orlando never forgets that, you know. A lot of writers say, like, oh, we're going to be hopeful or we're going to we're gonna give this book heart, you know. 
then they forget to kind of include that, you know? Yeah. Um, but two issues in now, we, we see a lot of heart. And, um, man, I just think he's a good writer. He's just... Yeah. He, he, he juggles so many balls in the air, uh, whether it's characterization, action, plot, making sure that all the characters get their due. You know, it's he's so good at that. He's, he's, he's really an expert at this point. In the interview I did with him for Multiversity, he said two things that I found very interesting. He said that I complimented him on how much the Rebirth issue did. You know, and he said, like, well, comics should always do that. Comics should always be – there should be more stuff in each issue than you think there should be. Like, it should be yeah. overstuffed and fun. And I love that approach. And he also said – I asked about, you know, kind of what you said, Vince, about how it, it – having a tonal similarity to the show but not being beholden to it. And his answer, I thought, was very illuminating. He said, well, the reason the show works is because they honor what Kara should be. And so as long as I honor Bakara, should be, the tone will be the same. Yeah. And that's a great answer. That is a great answer. Yeah. Uh, I'm pulling this book. I, I'm pulling it a lot. We should talk about Brian Ching, though. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. Really nice stuff. Yeah. I really like his, his characters. Um, it took me a little while to get adjusted to the scenery a little bit because it's, I don't know, some stuff blended in for me a little bit. Um, I don't know if that was due more to the coloring or what, but, um, but I really, his character work is strong. Yeah. Uh, there's a, there's a really youthful energy to the book that, that Ching brings. I feel like his, um, his teenagers and kids look young and, uh, it just, because of that, I think it has, like I think you could put this book in the hands of somebody who's a regular manga reader and there wouldn't be a big transition because the energy and the youthful nature really reminded me of some manga. Mm. Yay, nay? Yay. Yay. Zach, are you pulling this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm excited about everything Orlando's doing. You know, he's got the the uh, monster men stuff with batman coming up yeah and uh and then he's got jla which holy shit guys <laughs> like yeah someone's and, reading uh, our dream journals and midnighter and apollo too. and midnight yes thank you zach yep 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 which let's let's do a little speculation here I, we've I, already we've done a little bit behind the scenes yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Hickman's out. <laughs> it's, it's it's Orlando time, baby. Because they're keeping Hickman for Legion, right? Yeah. Guys? Exactly. Yeah. Right. Oh man, just wait till they roll that out. Orlando's JLA and Hickman's Legion, the best of both worlds, right there. Mm-hmm. Um, Lightning Saga Part Two. <laughs> Stop it. So Midnighter's totally gonna be in the JLA, isn't he? I hope so. Yeah. 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 He, he's gotta. Um. Uh, I, I read something on Twitter the other day. I think it was uh, Andy Corey, the editor at DC, um, said that if you want to figure out who's on the JLA roster, all you have to do is pay attention to who uh, Steve Orlando and I talk about all the time. Okay. <laughs> and so I think I think that like mid like Midnighter has to make it. Um, and I don't really know. I mean, I guess I don't follow them closely enough, you know. But like, I have to think Midnighter's a shoe in because of that. Yeah, well, I mean, you made you made a prediction. Do you want to voice that? Oh, well, I I said I thought it would be like an an authority heavy team, in general, like ba- basically a way to get those characters back in. I I believe Jim Lee was quoted on saying that wasn't he quoted on saying there's going to be a Wildstorm revival again? Yes, that <laughs> we'll find that something soon. Yeah, only only it's going to be in a very surprising way. Well, I don't know what's I don't know what's more surprising than like making the JLA a bunch of Wildstorm well, characters. Can I give you my my pessimistic idea about the team? Yeah. So uh, this team spins out of the Justice League versus Suicide Squad event. Oh, uh huh. And I think it's going to be very much um, 
a Justice League of America like the New 52 one was, where it's the government-run Justice League. Sure. And so because of that, I don't think you're going to get Midnighter. I think you're going to get more of the sort of, um, for lack of a better term, good soldiers of the DCU. Sure. Um, in there. But I hope I'm wrong about that. Yeah, I just, A, I don't really like see them retreading that, like going back to that well again, especially if they're going to have someone like Orlando writing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I mean, you're right. It very well could be that. It could be Batman and Harley Quinn. <laughs> kissing? JLA. Yeah, kissing in the JLA while kissing. But what will Poison <laughs> Ivy do? Well, once again, once again, the shippers lose out. So, yeah. um, one thing I want to say is that uh, Steve Orlando did use the Suicide Squad in Midnighter, didn't he, for a few issues? Um, I can't recall. Yeah, I think he did because I I remember saying uh, Steve Orlando can write Amanda Waller whenever he wants. I tweeted that to him. Oh, okay. Because it was such a good uh, version of the character. I thought. Um. So maybe that maybe that is true. Maybe it'll be like a Suicide Squad-y type thing. Um, but Zach, I think what you were alluding to was actually something that was your idea. Didn't didn't you say that it would be a uh, Steve Orlando written, Brian Hitch drawn? Well, I thought that was in response to your authority prediction. Yeah, well, I, I said an authority-heavy JLA team written by Orlando, and then you said drawn yeah. by Hitch. Well, I know it's just me, Eddie. I really think that I I think that you're spot on with the authority heavy um, take, and I think that Midnight or Apollo based series is going to be a lead in to JLA. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. All right. Well, let let's fly through the rest of these rebirth books quickly. Uh, there's a couple I want to talk more about, uh, and one of those is Aquaman. I loved this issue, guys. You mean you mean Aqua Knight Returns? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah. Uh, first of all, we have Brad Walker back finally. Uh huh. So. Yep. Yep. And he was great. You. Oh man, his Superman and his Aquaman. Holy shit. Yeah. I love really really good. I love the twinkle. I love the twinkle in their eyes that he puts in there, and I love <laughs> how they contort when they fight. Like they fight like. They're superhuman. Yes. Um, and while, yes, this is superheroes punching each other, and I, I'm on record as not liking that, being <laughs> sick of that, I feel like this was all about the two of them really believing in what they were doing and trying to do the right thing for everybody, and there was no real anger towards each other. It was just like they were they were in each other's ways, and they were trying to... to I don't know. It just it just felt different than your typical superheroes punching each other. Maybe maybe I'm just starry eyed over uh, Brad Walker's return. <laughs> what did you guys think? No, it was it was Batman v Superman, except done right. Like it made total sense, and you didn't hate either character. You know. I don't know. I kind of hated Superman. I kind of hated but... Superman a little, but like. But he was being Superman. Yeah, there, there, there were a couple lines that saved him from being the government stooge. You know, whether yeah. whether you thought that Just was the, enough or not, but yeah, I, I didn't. I thought that um, they leaned a little too hard on that. Okay. Personally, sure, that's fair. See, I, I feel like there, there's part of Superman that, and this is going to get me so blasted by possibly you guys and, and the internet in general. I feel like there's part of Superman that has to be the government stooge, though. Like, he really does believe in, like, the sovereignty of government and whatnot. And so I could see him getting involved here. But but there's lots of things he does that undercuts. You know, this is not like um, Kingdom Come Superman, you know, there is there is still a lot of a lot of dissent in what he's saying, but it felt very true to Superman to me. But I, I respect what you're saying, Zach, and I could I could certainly see that. I guess it just didn't cross that line enough for me. Yeah, it didn't it didn't like necessarily affect my enjoyment of the issue, really. Um, 
because really it was like there to build up Aquaman, mm-hmm. which, you know, it's his book. So, and, and, you know, we've talked a lot about how this book has done more for the character than the whole new 52 run did. Mm-hmm. Um, just in terms of, you know, just dispelling that, you know, talks to fish thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which was like the whole purpose of the new 52 run. Yeah. Oh, I think you nailed it. Yeah. I'm, I'm still pulling this book big time. I'm pulling it hard. It was great. I really like the, I love the first page. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so good. And the second one. And, and three through 20. Yeah. And then, and all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this was good. Uh, Black Manta. I knew that's where it was going to go, but that <laughs> didn't make it any like less chilling and you know like morbidly satisfying. Mm-hmm. They're doing a nice job with him too. Mm-hmm. Just that the scene of him in the and the on the throne, the floating throne, where he's just like, "The king is dead." Oh, hell what's king. up? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> All right, uh, that brings us to Batman. <sighs> Batman. Okay. <laughs> Homer Batman. Homer Batman. Uh, okay. This issue at least made sense. Uh... <laughs> yeah. I, I was just going to say the same thing, Zach. That this there is an internal logic and consistency to this issue that you don't have to like, but you have to admit there's there's something there. Vince, are you willing to give you to give us that? Well, if if by that you mean like basically only one thing happened from beginning to end, and we didn't spend much time on any, I mean the the what you what you're saying, what what the problem with a lot of the previous issues of this comic has been is that it's all over the place, from like well, a, a characterization, a plot, a Batman doing ridiculous things, standpoint, people saying dumb things. And I this... don't. I don't even necessarily think it's that. I think it's like what Brian said more that there's there's just like an internal logic here that is adhered to. Yeah, like, like to me, this issue is showing us that Gotham Girl is mourning. She was fucked up by the psycho pirate, and we're watching the fallout of that. Yeah. And that's, that's what this issue is. It's watching the fallout of that. And you can be annoyed by it. You can think a lot of it's dumb. But at least there is a like steady... The, the, the ship is not like in danger of capsizing every other panel. Right. <laughs> and that's how I felt reading the other issues of this run. Like At any point, Batman's going like, to rip his mask off and it's going to be somebody else because how the fuck is this Batman? Like th- This didn't feel that way. Okay, I, I'll I'll give you that, but I could not stand, and I never say this about Tom King. Again, I think all of his other books are wonderfully written, have great scripts. I can't stand, I couldn't stand listening to her pretend to talk to her dead brother the entire issue, you know? I just couldn't do it. Like, it's just not, to me it was cloying. Did you watch Six Feet Under, Vince? Yeah, I did. You know the episode of Six Feet Under after um, the, after Nate's wife dies? The better reference would be Scrubs and the Brendan Fraser character. Uh, it's not what I'm referring to. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, there's a there's an episode where Nate is running in the cemetery and he finds that dog. Sure. And he, he convinces himself that the dog is the spirit of his dead wife. Yeah. And like you look at that and you're like, of course this is ridiculous. It's not the spirit of his dead wife, but he believes it so much that you like you 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 kind of you you cut it a little bit of slack as a storytelling device. Uh, That's what I felt about this. Like you can just see that she's and and you throw in a, you know uh, Nate Fisher was not visited by the psycho pirate, whereas you know Gotham Girl was. So yes, was it annoying? I think it was, but but I I this was this was to me the least problematic of the issues of the series so far yeah I, I guess i can give it that but it's not a good comic don't get me wrong no, it's not it was nice to, were... it was nice to see batman be a softy like that is nice 
Um, I enjoyed how kind of Morrisonian he was with his uh, villain choices. <laughs> that that was a great scene. Okay, I take it back. This, you guys are winning me over here. It it was again not not a good comic, but that kite man scene was Italian chef kiss. There was there were glimmers of Tom King in this. Maybe I maybe, maybe I think I was not a huge fan of the um, the artwork. Really, which I feel like is is against my brand to say that. Um. <laughs> Because Ivan Rise is, is, you know, he's he's who he is for a reason. I feel like um, Batman looked weird in a lot of the book, especially that last page, the last image of Batman, like in the shadows. It looks like Wildcat. Yeah, I don't, I don't think Batman is necessarily a good fit for him. Yeah. And also, yeah, I don't, I don't know that the coloring is was done by um, Marcelo Maiolo, who I really like usually. Is also very good, but I think it's kind of a weird pairing because it's just so yeah. garish. Isn't really the right right word, but it's you know so neon and. Yeah, and, and Rise is a much more like traditional. You know, you, he's usually pa- paired with, um, oh, who is it? Um, I'm totally blanking. Is it O'Claire Albert, or is he an e- or is he the inker that no, he usually works with? Joe Prado is his inker. That's right, right. So maybe it is O'Claire. And then there's one other person that he worked with a lot on green lantern like those two colorists kind of like nail that very super heroic style that kind of reyes embodies and this is a lot darker but also i don't know like i thought it was very appropriate that he was drawing this issue because it was centering on gotham girl who is kind of much more of a you know super-esque character right sure you know a capes character yeah um no, I do know what you're saying, Brian. There's something about this that does feel weird. I think on the whole, I still enjoyed it, though. Um, I really liked what he did with some of the, like, the, like, open negative space. Like, there were panels that are just kind of, like, broken open. Mm-hmm. Or, like, kind of, almost kind of, like, melting or, like, burning away. You know? Like uh, like the page with, it's the second page in the pirate guy scene. Uh-huh. Um, that like top panel is kind of like on the left bottom left corner. You see what I'm talking about? Uh, Let's see, it's page uh, twelve on the digital. Yeah, I see what you mean. There's a few, like, just cool things like that, like, throughout the issue. Like, just interesting design choices, I thought, were pretty cool. I don't know. There's sometimes I look at this and, like, especially that Kite Man page. I look at that and that looks like a, um... Oh, the name's blanking on me. Who was the guy who did, like, Gotham City Sirens? Oh, and, uh... And uh, Talon for a while? Guillaume March? Yeah, Guillermo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, it looks like that to me. Interesting. Yeah, I thought that scene with Kaiban was really staged well too. Like, yes, there's momentum in those panels. I he'd be a good artist on a Flash book. I think he does like the Flash and Green Lantern really well. See, I, I would think that for the Flash's oh, stuff is just a little. Uh, yeah. Nah. Yeah. I'll be over here with my correct opinion, and you we, can. Uh, hang we out three will just never agree on this. We're 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 quite a trio. <laughs> we're fit to be tied with each other. Um, <laughs> I, I I'm still pulping this book. Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm I'm pulping it. This, you know, okay. So, 
this may have been a, a, a fairly non-malignant issue. But... <laughs> fairly non-malignant. Yeah, but it did nothing to... Whereas the la- the end of the last issue like got Zach and I super intrigued, you know, uh, despite it being a train wreck, this issue did nothing to buoy the book, you know. It was a fine one-off. Sure. Sure. All right, Green Arrow, number six, the start of the second arc, Sins of the Mother, um, written by uh, Ben Percy, illustrated by Stephen Byrne. Not going to lie, when I looked at that cover and saw Byrne, my first, I, I was like, they got John Byrne to draw this? <laughs> and I thought, David Byrne dry, uh, draws comics now? <laughs> oh. Making flippy floppy. Anyway. Um, <laughs> let's uh, try to do my best. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I thought that uh, Byrne actually did a really nice job with this issue. He continued the, the sort of... Um, playful tone that the book takes visually i i I, you know this book is not the most intellectually stimulating book dc is putting out but i'm really enjoying it despite that i thought this was a weird issue how so the the flashback story about her getting the getting the watch the wrist juice yeah, the wrist juice. <laughs> like it, it had me until the end. When Ollie had the wrist juice, right? Because then it's like, oh, this is going to be. This isn't just like a like flashback for character's sake. This is like a flashback story that is going to, I guess, apparently be told, but one that has little consequence i feel like because we all know in the present everyone is where they are you know what i mean and i guess you could make the argument that any like threat to a hero is is moot in comic books because comics but it, it just seemed like a i didn't expect that's where the flashback was going you know what i mean mm-hmm. sure that's, vince what'd you think that's fair i I guess I feel the same way about the issue itself. It was kind of, uh, I liked I liked getting to see uh, a little more of Emmy, you know, um, that take the focus away from from Ollie for a bit. I thought, but on the whole, you know, the issue didn't do too much for me. Stephen Burns' art, man, Green Arrow has been blessed this go round, have they not? Agreed. Like, I think his art is great. Uh, when I saw that it was him on this, I was really pumped. Came as a surprise to me. Um, I don't know if we knew that this was happening, but but man, it looked good. I love that did. cartoony style. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was it it was really good artistically. Yeah, I'm uh. It's a light. It's still light pull for me. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm right in between pulling and pirating, just because I still feel like it's not the. Uh, I, I still feel like the book could be doing more. It still feels a little bit slight to me. But that said, I am. I am enjoying it for what it is, and I hope that that we get. I hope that the book's allowed to breathe for a little bit because I like I like where it's going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Zach, I, think what are you doing? In, I think I'm still in pirate range. Mm-hmm. Okay, Vince read Harley Quinn, so tell us about Harley Quinn. Um, it was fine. There was a, ba- a bathing scene, um, between Harley and Poison Ivy. Um, it's the same same book it's always been. You guys would hate it. <laughs> I'm uh. I'm light pirating it. <laughs> <laughs> that that's all, all right. that needs to be said. Okay, I'm cool with that. 
That brings us to Justice League number four, written by Brian Hitch, filling art by Jesus Marino, continuing this story where the world is being uh, torn apart by singing giants. <laughs> I, I came up with that description earlier today, and it made me laugh that singing giants are tearing the world apart. Um, this is about as good of a huge action Justice League book as we've gotten in a while. And this is probably my favorite thing I've ever read that Brian Hitch has written. Um, anyone care to disagree with that? No. I, I don't care to. I don't think so. I mean, I don't know the whole breadth of things that Hitch has written, I guess. but uh, He wrote a miniseries, I think, at Image a few years ago that I remember oh. giving a really bad review to the first issue. America's Got Powers? Yeah, yeah. that's the one. Oh. The best thing that ever did was that got a uh, friend of the show, Chad Bowers, to name his Tumblr America's Got Bowers. <laughs> <laughs> that is literally the best thing that came out of that book. So yeah, actually, no, wait, it might have been uh, it might have been Real Heroes. That might have been the one. Oh, okay. That, yeah, that's the one that I those that, those books sound the same to me. I, weren't they very similar? Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Probably. Did he, have, Wait, did he have a universe of America's reality Scott television Powers related? was written by Jonathan Ross. But illustrated uh, by Hitch, right? Illustrated by Hitch. Okay. Oh, damn, you right. was written and drawn by Hitch. There you go. Well, in, in, in a much better turn of events, Justice League is, is pretty decent. And, yeah. And uh, I, yeah. Like, I like the way he juggles all these characters. I, I think he's giving... Uh, again, he's one of those writers, apparently that uh, is giving everybody their due. I didn't see this coming, guys. I didn't either. <laughs> this is this is a, a better Justice League book than John's Justice League book. Yeah. I think I agree with that. And you know his his Justice League of America started out that way too. Like when, like the first couple issues I thought this might actually be better. Then it kind of went off the rails a little bit. Did, did either of you read issue nine last week? I, I didn't. I'm not caught up. <laughs> I did enough, not know. Well, that is um, pre-rebirth, Zach. So, uh, so, uh, uh, so stuck the fingers farther up bridge of nose. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, yeah. I didn't. I want to. Maybe I'll wait until it's all out. Yeah. There's one more issue, I think. Maybe magically miraculously yeah i'll wait for the omnibus yeah. <laughs> oh yeah that'll be a nice looking omnibus yeah mm-hmm. all right that brings us to nightwing number four written by tim seeley illustrated by javi hernandez this was so fucking good guys <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah this was very good everything real, about real this nice. worked everything about it worked yeah yeah the, yeah the backstab, you know, you knew it was coming, but uh-huh. just, I mean, man, Seely, you know what Seely does best? He, he structures his books as good as anyone at DC right now. Like, from scene to scene, everything kind of flows into one another, uh-huh. and the events that you can guess are going to happen... When they happen, they're still really impactful just because of the way they unfold. He he just the the flow of his books is really satisfying. They're they're just good reads. Yeah. I am, um, yeah. I, I I'm I'm madly in love with this book, obviously, and I felt like I I really don't like it when characters long long talked about past comes shooting to the present but talon not talon raptor being like say hi to your mom for me essentially was like (laughs) say hi to your mom yeah i uh i was legitimately shocked when i read that yeah like that your mom was right about you that was that was a really interesting development i feel like dick grayson's parents first of all i hope they're not alive because that's that's dumb but i feel like dick grayson's parents sometimes totally ignored in comics like mm-hmm. like their death is the only thing about them that anyone ever talks about and I would like to see a little bit of that developed possibly just to have us understand Dick's relationship with them a little bit better sure 
Um, but yeah, this is a great issue. Yeah. And the the Dick Bruce interaction at the end. Oh. And the and, and Damien. And the Dick Damien interaction too. Oh, yeah. Damien. I love <laughs> Damien. Yeah. This was a uh, this was a damn good comic. Yeah, it was. And you know what? I the the thing like I'm just so excited for Night of the Monster Men coming coming out of like I just you know just seeing that 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 little tagline both in this and um, Batman. That's kind of unrelated to this because Orlando's writing it, but. I feel like also like Orlando and Seeley are like two halves of the same mind. Yeah, well, the, uh, every issue is only co-written by Orlando. Is that it? Oh, okay. Yeah, so each of the the writers of the books are still having their that's right. their that's say right. with it. Yeah, that's going to be really good. I think. Yeah. Until Gotham Girl fucks up the Batman <laughs> issues, but we'll see. I mean, I'm pulling Nightwing, you know. All day and all night. Is there something higher than Paul? Um, like pen, pre-order, pen frame, tra- frame uh, on the wall. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. CGC. CGC. There we go. <laughs> CGC. CGC in this oh, book. Man, that's high praise. <laughs> yeah. And that brings us to our final book of the week, Superman number six, written by Pat. Uh, sorry, illustrated by Patrick Leeson, written by Peter Tomasi and Patrick Leeson. Uh, I know you guys were down on the last issue or so, maybe last two issues of the book, but I thought this was a pretty great issue. I, yeah, I, I think this one pulled it out. Yeah, Superman is back, baby. It's good again. Crypto oh, sit. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, crypto sit. <laughs> that was great. That Stay was healthy. great. Superman is for everyone was yep. great. Um, Bibbo. Superboy's introduction to the Justice League. Yeah. Calling him Superboy, showing us a, what I presume <sighs> is the new logo. You know this this issue I feel like is the beginning of like, I mean like DC has legacy again. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know baby. I mean there have been like other like young yeah I know we have like kid flash and we have robin but like to me this just like said okay like we are going to have legacy again yeah you know yeah because i mean i mean superman has a has a son superman has a son gave him a code name introduced him to the justice league it's happening man he's gonna meet damien it's building how long do you think it's gonna be before we get our first like jump 20 years into the future where everybody is Where we have like the Justice League, where like it's John and Damien and and um, Wally, maybe you, you, Zach, you bastard! Don't, <laughs> don't do this! Don't do this! How long is it going to take? And what book is it going to be in? Oh man, time skip. Of course, oh. Jonathan Hickman's going to write. No. <laughs> no, no, I have the answer. I have the answer. Batman number twenty-two. <laughs> <laughs> And it's going to be Damien digging a grave and throwing Jonathan's body in there and just saying, like, good riddance. And uh, it's going to be terrible, and I'm going to hate my life. (laughs) Oh. Brian, thank you for pulling the hype rug out on Zach's amazing premise. Because I I want that book Zach's talking about. So do I. Yeah. Emmy. Emmy would be Green Arrow. Who else? Shit, man. I'm just gonna spend the rest of the night casting this. Yeah. You guys. Actually, let's let's get a Google Doc going. We are gonna write this book, and DC's <laughs> gonna publish it. God damn it. Well, <laughs> I'll pitch it to the Dio and Lee at uh, New York Comic Con. There you go. Oh yes. <laughs> what if you did? You came with a briefcase full of <laughs> full of rough outlines and poorly rendered sketches. <laughs> All right, hear me out, guys. It's like that Batman issue that Grant Morrison did. Where Damien was was Batman. Yep. It's a lot less dark, and uh, yeah. well, you lost them already. Yeah, yeah. exactly. What the, less dark? We need bodies. You probably Salvatore. lost them at. You lost them at Grant Morrison, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> not a fan. Not a fan of that yeah. Grant Morrison. Too smart. Too smart. Too smart. <laughs> he only wrote three of the best events in DC history. No Infinite Crisis. No Infinite Crisis. (laughs) 
the countdown was 52 done right. <laughs> oh, man. Why didn't we get that Supergirl announcement? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, so I'm I'm proud of us for getting through this without the most obvious point of conversation. Uh, everybody get go uh, get your cyborg issue out again. Okay. Okay. I want you to cover, okay? It's a bold move to have his dick on the cover. <laughs> Hold it's on a, a minute. Bold move. What? <laughs> <laughs> Zach just saw it. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hold on. I don't actually have the issue here. I gotta look at it. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It's a bold move. Yeah. Eh. If you've got it, flaunt it. <laughs> <laughs> this has been the official podcast of your DC media partner site, Multiversity Comics. <laughs> you can find all of us on Twitter. Uh, I am at Brian Needs a Nap. I am still looking at this. <laughs> at VJ underscore O-S-T-R-O-W-S-K-I. And I am Sir Fox 89 And we'll be back next week with more DC goodness. Enjoy, ladies and gentlemen. So, so let's let's talk about the book sort of in broad strokes right now. You know, DC pulled off a really interesting trick with this book where, you know, it was solicited as one thing, but it was made clear by the end of the first issue. It was actually something very, very different. So from your perspective, how did you go about... Um, you know, plotting the book, were you, did you always know there was going to be the twist there? Was that something you brought to the table? Just generally, I guess, walk us through the initial stages of the book's development. Um, so the short story is that I had been hired originally by Dan DiDio to draw Superman along with writer Brian Hitch. But after DC decided that they were going to go with a bi-monthly schedule on the Superman books in much of their line, Brian and I backed out just for scheduling reasons, but I was still interested in doing a super book, a uh, Superman-related book, because it was something I'd never actually drawn, and I really liked that guy and that world. Uh, DC brought to me Superwoman, a project that they invented, I think, for me, um, and with a couple of caveats, they wanted certain characters in it, and they wanted me to hit some certain beats in the first three issues or so, and I said, okay. And they also wanted me to write it, which is very strange to me because I don't think of myself as a writer, although I have written things. I've written some really good things and some really bad things, but I have kind <laughs> of a, a track record. So the fact that they were going to let me do this and support me was pretty extraordinary. Um, when it came time to actual plotting, it was me who came up with a couple of twists involved um, the Lana Lang is a second superwoman, uh, Lois Lane's apparent demise. Those were my ideas, and I was playing with a couple of things over the months, one of which I, I keep calling the Game of Thrones rule book, which is no one is ever safe, or you, know, you never know who's going to live and who's going to die. Um, I think they sort of set the bar for that, uh, Walking Dead maybe a little bit as well. And then I also wanted to play with homage. My book is an homage to a lot of stuff, Silver Age material, uh, 90s material, the Superman that I remember. And so when I had two characters, Lois Lane and Lana Lang, it became so apparent to me that they had to be Superwoman Red and Superwoman Blue. Um, but more importantly, uh, with Lana, I had wanted to create a Superwoman who was not just another super strong character in that universe. I felt like Metropolis had enough of those. And I wanted to take advantage of the New 52 Lana's experience as an engineer and um, as a teacher to Superman and have her completely rethink the way her body uses that solar radiation um, and create a, a very sort of new take on that. So the, the, the homages, the twists, et cetera, that was all me, I think. Um, with a lot of massaging from my editorial team, but I'm the one, if you love it or hate it, those couple of things are mine. <laughs> well, it seems like people love it. I mean, I know, um, I, it's one of my favorite books of Rebirth so far. I think it's a really interesting take on the characters and it's something we haven't really seen from these characters before, which is, 
you know, what I always want out of a comic. I always want something I haven't seen before. So, you know, good job for that. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about the, um, the process of writing a script and then drawing from your own script. You know, if you were writing for somebody else, you would obviously have to write out every little thing, you know, or depending on how you're scripting it, you know, you'd have to write out a lot more than than writing for yourself. So what do your scripts look like? Are they still detailed? Are they very loose outlines? Are you drawing and scripting at the same time? How does that work for you personally? So I am a nightmare for my editors, always in this way. And that I do, so when I'm writing for me, I tend to write beat sheets, fairly, uh, fairly loose beats of what will happen to an issue. Although I found that that's caused some problems in the past because a beat to me which will be a panel, will read to them as an entire page or <laughs> vice versa. Um, I'll, I'll spend like a lot of stuff, uh, you know, something they think needs to be more important to me is a throwaway line. So what I've been doing is creating more elaborate plots, but I'm definitely a Marvel style guy. So I plot first and then script later. I also tend to do a lot of discovery on the page, which is terrible. It's a terrible way to work. Um, and I don't recommend it to anyone. But there are a few moments where I will see two characters in the room that I hadn't noticed before. Uh, two characters in a in the police station. Like, oh my gosh, we can write a thousand stories with that. So I tend to need that visual to craft story. So with Emma Lipatino, the rotating artist, I had, was doing plot, allowing her to uh, break the stuff down herself. And I think that was really overwhelming because, as anyone knows, I tend to shove a lot into these plots. I overstuff them in many ways, partly as a because I really am trying to give people their money's worth. So uh, to any of your readers, I understand that they are full and they can sometimes be overwhelming. But with Emma, what I've been doing is actually breaking the pages down by panel so that she can see more clearly the action and where and how to emphasize what. And she has been amazing too, because we threw her into the deep end with a very complicated, complex project. And she's just sort of picked right up. Um, and it's, I, I think she needs to be lauded because it's not easy to work with me at all. And she's just, she's doing it and she's doing an amazing job. She's an incredible artist. And I think that your styles in many ways complement each other well so what, what can be frustrating from a reader's perspective is when there's two artists on a book that the styles are jarringly different or they just they don't work in the same way and not that you guys not that your art looks similar but there's something complimentary about the art so i'm looking forward to seeing you know uh how her style plays off yours so i'm very excited to see that um i wanted to touch it's actually i mean it's very just real quickly it's just very i will say that the, the interesting thing is we approach story, art, everything very, very different. Like, her art is, is beautiful. It's much more open than mine. And so it's interesting, but I don't think what that, it means there's any less story. Like, her first issue is as full as I feel like all the other issues. So I feel like I could probably learn a little bit about how to break up some of the density of my own work. Oh, that's interesting to hear. Um I want to briefly touch on the other characters that you're playing with in this book. You know, DC sent me along number two, so I see that Steel and and his niece are a big part of the book, and obviously, you know, Lex Luthor is part of it, and now there's a reveal at the end of number two, which I'm not going to say for our listeners, but, you know, um, there, there's another character that shows up there, a classic DC female character. So, you know, how big is the scope of this book, and how closely are you working with the other super writers to kind of make sure everything's fitting together. So the books are coordinated uh, to an extraordinary degree by the Superman editorial staff. And they send each of us, every creator, uh, scripts, comp copies, everything, uh, sometimes too much, but they certainly send us everything that everyone else is doing. In my case, the, the, the creator that I'm working with the most is Dan Jurgens because we share Lex Luthor and we share Metropolis. And there was some, there was some coordination in the beginning to figure out timing of, as he was telling stories with Lex and I was because he's a biweekly book and I am not, which meant he was burning through story much faster than I was. So, you know, Lex is a major character in my first two arcs, but we had to figure out how those arcs worked in terms of continuity with what he was doing, since he was so much further ahead than I was. But there's an enormous amount of 
uh, back and forth. What I'm actually really thrilled about is that working with Lex and this, uh, the new, you know, that surprise villain, and who I think people will probably figure out, is that it is mired, uh, all of their drama, um, all of their motivations are mired heavily in longstanding history about those two characters. Uh, and Dan and I have come up with some amazing, to me amazing, like I'm amazed just because I feel like I haven't seen it, new history for Lex Luthor, his childhood, his time with his sister, uh, what really happened with him and his parents, a bunch of stuff I can't get over the fact that DC is letting us do. It provides very personal motivation. It provides broad strokes motivation for villains. Uh, it redefines Lex in a really fascinating way on his journey as a Superman. Um, and it gives Superwoman, I think, a really viable, exciting villain um, that can be used long after you know her arc. Like, I think that villain, Ultra Woman, will be... Uh, it could be a big bad of the DC universe. We all say that creators all imagine this new villain will be the, you know, the next big thing. But what's nice about that character is that she's not motivated by the desire to have Superman's babies or, you know, by a love, you know, she doesn't have some crazy sexual love for uh, the lead character. She's motivated by the same things Lex Luthor is motivated by, which, you know, her ego and desire for power, desire for recognition, desire for more. Uh, and an intellect that's unrivaled by anyone on the planet. And that is actually very exciting to me. That's really cool. Um, I know we're running short on time, so this is my last question. And this is half a statement, half a question. So I'm, I'm warning you in advance, this is not quite uh, all that cogent, but bear with me. Um, so I, I am the father of a young daughter. And I love when I come across a book that I know one day I can share with her. Because... The, strong, the lead characters are strong and they're intelligent and they're not needing to be propped up by men. And it's just, it's so refreshing to have a book that is tackling a female character where her gender is not the most important part about her, but her heroism is. And so, first of all, thank you for that. But on the second note here, how important is it to you to ensure that the characters that you're dealing with, specifically Lana and Lois, that they are true to the history, which hasn't always been kind to them, but also moving forward and, and taking some strong, you know, I would say feminist stances. How, how do you wrestle with the history and the sort of progressive movement that, you know, that we're in right now? Uh, a lot to unpack. I might ramble. So one, um, all characters have troublesome history, I think. Uh, female characters, particularly in comics, uh, have weird history because it's guys, and I include myself in what I'm about to say, are the primary creators of these characters. So I think we tend to project a lot of our ideas about women, our fantasies, good and bad about women, about feminism, about what it means to be strong, onto characters, sometimes with great success, and I think sometimes with great... Um, failure. Uh, so I feel like it's my responsibility. I, I, again, I, I, I often say I navigate the world through the body in which I inhabit um, with all that means, you know, good and bad. Um, so I feel like it's my responsibility to tackle these characters and their histories as honestly as I can and with a great deal of outreach and support. I mean, this book is about women, and so I very actively seek out other women to other women. I actively seek out women <laughs> to talk to and run these ideas by and, and, and I have to listen to what they say. So if I have decided the story is great and they're all telling me it's not, then I have to believe that maybe I need to rethink some things. Um, and I think this is particularly true with Natasha as a young black woman. I've been reaching out to so many young black women about how to represent her, what she should wear, what music she should listen to, um, you know, what her code name should be, a bunch of different things, because I think that's my job to represent as authentically as possible the characters within this framework. Again, I think it's, when I took this job, I was a little trepidatious because, again, it's another guy defining female characters in the universe. And so I thought if I'm going to, if I'm, if that's going to be my, my work, then I have to make sure that these voices are as authentic as possible 
within the confines of the continuity of those characters. It's funny that you talk about that you sort of sideline their gender, because for me, that is actually an incredibly important part. They're not just super somebody, they're super woman, right? And I think, again, I say this because I have the luxury, the privilege of saying it, but I tend not to sideline or put aside the otherness of some people. So if they're gay, if they're a person of color, if they're a woman, I think, I think that is an enormously important part of their characters. Um, heroes, villains, otherwise. And I think to suggest that, oh, they just happen to be this thing, removes from them something very sort of special and defining. And so the other, the other thing that's important for me is to never just say, you know, they just happen to be a woman, they just happen to be black, but they're really this. I'm like, no, like, that, that is just that is as an important part of the way they navigate the world as other things. It doesn't necessarily have to be the most important, and that, that list of what's important might change from day to day. Um, you know, there are going to be adventures where Steele's engineering prowess is all that matters, or where Steele's love for Lana is all that matters. But there's going to be talk in issues two and three, and his experience as a black man will actually define that conversation based on conversations I've had with other people. And so with Superwoman, it's kind of the same thing. I don't... My goal is to never make someone feel like the body they navigate through or navigate the world with should be disregarded. Um, everyone is sort of unique and special and, you know, and who, who they are physically, I always think is a part of that. So with Superwoman, like I actually always think of it as Superwoman with a capital W. I love that answer. That's okay. one of my favorite answers I've gotten in an interview lately. Thank you for that. <laughs> and uh, thank you for the book. I, I, I really do love the book, and I wish you well, and I hope it runs 200 issues. I'm going to tell you one thing, because I'm so excited about it now, because I'm drawing issue five right now. And so one through three is sort of like a mini arc, and then it launches into – but it, and three is sort of like, okay, it all seems to wrap up, and it all launches, launches into the next arc, and I'm just so – I think it's going to be amazing. I'm kind of excited. I have no idea until it reaches print, I keep saying, like until it's actually, you know, on paper. But they're letting me do crazy stuff. And so even as the first arc kind of winds down, everyone's like, okay, all wrapped up and no more surprises. Suddenly, boom, issue four, crazy, and then five gets crazier. So I hope, um, I hope people continue to read it and enjoy it. Because uh, as it goes on, it gets bigger and more nuts. That's music to my ears. 